Well, if you'd join me in prayer before we start. Dear Heavenly Father God, we lift up this time as we study your word, as we look at what you have to say to us as uh, being a part of a body of a church and being a part of uh, what you're doing around the world. God, may you uh, speak through me. God, may you open our hearts to what you want to say to us this morning. God, may you be honored in all that we do and say this morning. God, we lift these things in your name. Amen. I find that slogans are part of our daily life. Um, You turn on the TV, you see a billboard. Everywhere you go, every day, you're bombarded with messages from a business, from a political campaign. I just want to test your knowledge a little bit. I'm going to say the name of a company. I want you to say, what is that slogan that exemplifies what they're trying to communicate? So who remembers what, what's the slogan of Nike? That's an easy one. Just do it. What about Wheaties? The breakfast of? <laughs> Great. What is KFC's slogan? Finger looking good. <laughs> what's the name of Obama's new campaign slogan? Anybody? Forward, Yes. So you see that slogans, they're trying to convey what it is that is the essence of who they are or what they're about. Um, So they're portraying, it may be true, it may not be true, but because these are so simple and so memorable, they work. That we may not have seen a Wendy's commercial in five years, but we can still say what it is that they had a commercial about so many years ago or from our childhood. I found that recently um, the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is what denomination, Cornerstone, and Hierarch are a part of, had a slogan to try to sum up what is it that is our identity and our mission. And I found that I love it because it really portrays both the history of where they've come from as well as the future of the vision that they have for where do we want to go. And that slogan is, in it, together. And so for, for what that means is from their early days as they were Swedish immigrants is that they chose rather than just to plant a church in Boston, plant a church in Chicago, plant a church in Minneapolis, that they really felt like if we were together, if we did something collectively, we can do something greater. And they had an early name called the Mission Friends because they wanted to be a part of a team working together, partnering to accomplish something greater than they could do on their own. And rather than letting certain theological things come up or split them or divide them, they found that we want to be unified in the mission to be in it together to do what God has called us to do rather than letting everything divide us. And I found over the past years as we've been serving in Japan that that slogan, in it together, really has helped sustain us in our ministry in Japan. You know, as we felt the triple disasters last March, we faced so much of um, dealing with the subsequent uh, aftershocks and the radiation and the lack of food and all the things that were on our minds of stressing as parents. And it was through friends and supporters that helped us. As we lived in the church building that was then inspected and deemed unfit to live, we had to move out, which posed you know, exceptional costs that we didn't budget. And over just a few emails, over that summer, people gave, even people that we didn't really expect to give, to help us make that transition. As we uh, continue to worry about getting good food that's safe, not from the radiated areas, 
um, we had a friend that just moved over to the Yokosuka Navy base an hour south of where we were at. And because of the base, they had all imported, you know, vegetables from America or Mexico or wherever. And so God provided for us through this friend that was just an hour away to help us get good milk or things that we, we really needed to feed our daughter without, you know, stressing too much. And then finally, we, we found that as we came back and really wrestling, do we stay in Japan? Do we come back? What, what does God want us to do with all this pressure? This is the conversations with people and dear friends that we trusted that we felt like, you know what? God wants us to go back. God is with us. That we can't guarantee safety in everything that happens to us, but we know that God will be with us in the midst of this. And I found that we're not the first people to find partnerships to be an amazing part of mission. Um, in Philippians, we see Paul writing about him thanking this church who had partnered with him and felt that he was in it together with them. And so this morning, I want to look at a bit at why partnerships are so important, not only for us as missionaries, but also for you as a church. And so if you have your Bibles, can you please open to Philippians chapter 1? We'll be looking there and then also at chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 1. The first thing I think that Paul is wanting to say is that being in it together is more about the relationships than the cost. Um, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul's life, it's that his life was not easy. It wasn't safe. Um, he faced so many things of shipwrecks, imprisonments, beatings, persecutions, all sorts of things happened to him. And he doesn't take it for granted that people are willing to partner with him if they might know what it involves. What are the costs involved with being associated with him? As he wrote this book, or this letter to the Church of Philippi, he was actually suffering in prison. And as the former pastor, they had actually helped him as he felt led by God to pursue planting another church in the town nearby in Thessalonica, and then further into Europe. And every step along the way, they walked with him and supported him. And this town is in northern Greece. Back then it was called Macedonia. It's right next to Turkey. And as he started to move western, they did everything they could to help him out along the way. They didn't just give up on him. You left us. You know, forget you. They were with him every step. And you see that Paul is very grateful this as we read in chapter 1, verses 3, 5, and 7. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Let's continue. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. He's grateful for who they are and that they have partnered with him, whether he's in chains, whether he's free to do whatever he's doing. They're a part of what he's, what he's about. And so not only do they pray for each other, but they cared for him in the moments when things were the most difficult and stressful in his life, when he faced so many burdens. And his final concluding words in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, he says this, 
Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. This is a church who is loyal to him. When nobody else was around, nobody else helped out, nobody else felt a part of what he was doing, they were there. And it wasn't just about financial gifts, it was the companionship that he felt that as he's suffering in prison, they'd come and visit him or they'd send somebody to bring a gift. And it's through this that it wasn't just money, it was much more than that. That he's feeling that, you know what, there's a lot of cost to this. That you may be small, you may not have much, you may risk your life by being associated with me. Yet what they saw was that it's not so much of what they're giving up, it's the relationship that they have with this person and what he's trying to do. That he's spreading the gospel beyond what they could ever do. We see that they treated Paul like he was a family. And as a family, it's not just the good times or when things are easy that we're called to be a family. But they exemplify being in it together. It's about the relationship, not the cost. There's a time when I was 16 that... It would have been easy for me to say, I have a part-time job, I'm in high school, I've got a lot going on. I don't have the bandwidth to handle this in the midst of the family circumstance that we found ourselves in. I have two older sisters, one um, who was in college at that time and one who was uh, 17, and we just found out that she was pregnant. And the, the father was not really in the picture, and we were just worried, this is not an ideal situation. This is not easy for us of what the people at church are going to think. How do we handle, you know, who's going to watch the kid? Who's going to help you finish high school? Call it like, how is this going to work out logistically, financially, emotionally, psychologically? Like, what is going on? And at this moment where giving a baby up for an adoption might have been the easier route in some sense, it was my grandma who said, you know what? Move in with me. I'll watch the, girl, or the daughter during the daytime. You finish high school. You go to college. You get training so that you can help build a family. And we're a family in this. And it's one of those moments where it's easy to just say, I don't like the cost that's involved in being a family at this moment. But it's one of those moments that was a defining moment for us that, you know what? There's a sense of loyalty. That no matter what we go through, what happens, what circumstances... She doesn't have anybody else to turn to at this moment. If we turn our back, what, what does that mean? What is that going to lead to for her future? And I find that this is the same way here as we're in partnership. Is that it's about the relationship rather than the cost of what's involved. And that's what Paul had with these people. Um, when I was in college thinking about missions, I remember hearing about the situation of missionaries that go with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I remember felting a sense of jealousy because if you're approved, then you have your full support. You can just go and serve and you don't have to worry about sending letters, asking people for money. But as we've gone through that, and it's not easy that there's a certain cost to that, and asking people, I don't like to depend on others. Um, it's tough traveling and speaking and writing letters and calling people and doing all this stuff to try to build that support. And even though that's a certain cost, what we found over these last few years 
is that I would hate to be out on the field serving in Japan and not having anybody thinking about us, praying for us, caring for us. But we found that the cost of traveling and writing those letters is worth it when we know that there's people back here thinking about us, praying for us, sending us a letter or sending us a care package or something that just shows that we're not alone in this. Because in it together is about the relationship rather than the cost. What we also find here is that in it together allows the gospel to spread further, faster. You know, what would the early church look like if Paul just stayed where he was, didn't, didn't follow God's calling, and just stayed at one church? No church helped him. No church spread it to other cities. Nobody planted churches. We'd see a totally different history from what we have seen. Europe would be very different. Asia would be very different. The Middle East would be very different. But they caught the vision and they supported him to help that church plant a church in a neighboring town, in a neighboring country, in entire continents. And that's what we see in that verses 14 and 15 that you shared with me in that early time when nobody else did. In verse 7 in chapter 1, it says, It was right for me to feel this way about you, since you have, I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in change or... Or defending the, and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They're a part of the success that he has in the other cities. It's not just about what they're doing in their church and their town, but they're able to share in what God is doing around the globe. And in verse 12 it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That even these dire situations that he's faced himself that he's faced it's actually helped spread the gospel and people in prison the jail guards the people on his ships that crashed that's helped get the gospel out in ways that wouldn't happen if he stayed where he was and so by their partnership they're seeing people experience god's grace and god's love in ways that wouldn't have happened if he stayed where he was And we find that Paul has a prayer for these people as well. He's saying, I don't want you just to think about supporting God's missionaries. I want you to be a part of being a a missions in the world as well. If you read in verses 9 to 11, this is his prayer to the, the church. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What he's saying for them is, don't just give and support what I'm doing. I want you and your town and your homes and your neighborhoods and your schools to be agents of change, growing in love, to care for not just me and not for yourselves, but for everybody in an unlimited love express to the hurting, to the needy, to the people that are your enemies. And I want you to be able to discern what God wants you to do, how to live, how to respond, how to react in the situation that you find yourself in because you are a part of God's mission. I'm serving here, but you are where you're at, able to do so much more than you may think. And just as Paul carried God's love to these other nations— They were the only people able to carry God's love to those people that they bumped into in this town of Philippi. And it's the same thing with you guys. I'm not able to be on your campuses or at your workplaces, but you're able to be ambassadors for God in those places in ways that 
Pastor Eugene can't do, the, the worship team may not be able to do, that you are in a unique space to reach out to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors. And they have a responsibility. That's not just missionaries overseas that are part of God's plan. We all are part of advancing that. And so being in it together allows God to do more than we could ever do alone. And the Evangelical Covenant Church that we are part of, it would have been very different if everybody just didn't feel like being in it together. Nobody would have started camps like Pilgrim Pines up in New Hampshire. Um, nobody would have supported missions in Congo where there's now several hundred thousand people worshiping in covenant churches. Uh, nobody would have been able to start Covenant World Relief, which has helped us um, have people and Japanese people working in the tsunami-affected areas, living with the people, helping them, caring for them, helping them rebuild their lives. None of that would have happened if nobody was in it together. And yet we find that together we can accomplish so much. And finally, we find that in it together honors God. Paul reminds them of their gift that it's not just a gift to me, but it's actually what you give is giving to God. If you look in the last few verses of chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, here's what Paul says. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. These gifts are not to Paul. It's a sacrifice to God that giving to missions is an act of showing your devotion to God, of act of serving. We find that elsewhere, Jesus mentions that, you know, when you visited me in prison, when you've, you know, fed or given water to the thirsty, when you fed those who are hungry, when you cared for those who were homeless, you've done that to me. He says that in the end of Matthew. And Jesus says that it's not just about caring for these people, but by doing that, by loving other people, you're in fact loving God. So what Paul's trying to do is downplay, it's not, I thank you for the gift, he doesn't want to neglect that, but he's downplaying the material thing to the blessings that they receive, the act that they have. That generosity is going to overflow in amazing ways in their lives. Because as they give and as they pray, that's going to grow them in their faith. That's going to grow their devotion to God. I remember a girl in college that... Um, I'd worked as a college pastor in Phoenix one summer and talking with her about supporting missions and thinking about how she can be a steward of her money just really started to turn a light bulb on for her. She started looking at where she spent her money and she came back to me and just said, the funny thing is I never really thought about it before, but I go to Starbucks every day. I spent over $100 on coffee that I then ended up saying I don't really have any money to give or help or support or, you know, uh, take on a Compassion International kit or do anything because I say I'm broke. And yet if I think about it, it's not about do I drink coffee or don't I drink coffee. It's about how can I best use my resources and how can I think about how can I be faithful to God with what he's given me to best serve. And so through that thought, it grew her in her faith. My oldest sister was over 30 and had two kids and had never been on a mission trip 
And even though she's a special ed elementary school teacher and doesn't have much money, she ended up supporting us as we began serving. And I found that through that, her faith and her, her eyes opened to what God was doing in the world and what the gospel was happening um, around her. And it was at that moment as she started to give that she started thinking more about how can I be a part of what God is doing in the world. And even though she had every excuse to say, I'm poor and I have two kids and I'm a teacher and I don't have much time, she ended up going with her church down to Honduras one, one spring break to serve and work with little kids. And she came back so fired up about her faith. And I found that it's easy to have excuses, but as you start to get involved, as you start to see that what I do is going to honor God, it's going to grow you. So Paul wanted to point them to God that it's not about him. He doesn't want to get the glory for what's happening. He doesn't want to get the glory for the gifts that they're giving. He wants things to be pointing back to God. That as God provides, that it's not about him, it's about what God is faithful and able to do. And it's an amazing testimony to God's faithfulness. We've seen that in our own lives, that as there's many points at which we say, in our own strength, in our own persuasion, we'd fail. But it's at that moment that God comes through. As you're raising support, it's at that last moment that we do everything that we can do of trying to meet up and talk with people. At the very end, we just say, you know what? We're just going to trust God that as we need to and as our needs are, are explained that they'll be met by God. And they have every step of the way. Just as we shared about moving into that apartment, we had a huge need and somehow or other, God met that. That it's not about us, what we have done. And then last fall, we talked about starting that youth ministry. And that was at the moment, I think, that we were the weakest. We were wavering and do we stay? Do we leave? Why should we start a ministry if we don't even know if we're going to be here in six months? But we really sensed that God was opening doors with some of the teens in the neighborhood. And that we said the urge, you know what? We're not sure what's going to happen, but we're just going to go with this. And even at our weakest moments, that turned into one of the most amazing things that we had done. And it's not about us. We don't take credit, but we see that God has sustained us and worked through that despite our weaknesses. Because in it together is about honoring God. What I found is the mission of God is best accomplished when we are in it together. Imagine how being in it together could transform both your community and the world. Instead of you see people around you that have needs or are demanding your time and seeing them as burdens, if you had this idea of being in it together, imagine what would happen if you value those relationships and those interruptions and see that God may be wanting to do something in that life through you. Instead of, especially as many of you are college students, seeing the limited resources that you have and trying to hold on to the little that you have, being able to freely let go and see how God could both provide for you and how he could use the little that you have to make a difference around the world. And it's easy to say as college students that I don't have much now. Maybe when I get a job, it'll be easier. But I'm telling you, if you don't start even being generous in the little things that you have at this moment, it's much harder to continue that. It's after you finish, you'll say, oh, I have student loans. So maybe once the student loans are paid off, then things will be easier. Then you start, you know, having a mortgage or then having kids and then worrying about saving for their college fund or your retirement. There's always going to be something as an excuse to say, you know what, 
I don't have the time. I don't have the capacity to help out. But if you see the little that you have can transform both your town, the elementary school that you're working with, and the world. And also, instead of just viewing missionaries as doing God's work, if you start to realize how you're all God's ambassadors, you all are carrying his name, you all are his hands and feet, that as you work with people, as you meet with people, as you talk with people, you are exemplifying Christ to them. And as you take on that responsibility, you begin to see, how can I best represent him to do what I can in the place that God has placed me? Because together we can live out God's mission for the world. And we can accomplish it by being in it together. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father God, we are so thankful that we have men and women like Paul who followed your calling to serve you, to, to leave the comfortable, to, to go to the ends of the earth, to share your good news. And God, as we are here in Boston, as the ends of the world, ends of the earth have actually come here as international students and, and immigrants, there's people of great need. God, may you allow us to catch the vision of being in it together as a church, as a family, as a denomination, as a part of the, the body of Christ to work together to see your work done both here and around the world. God, help us take our eyes off our own needs, our own limitations, and see what maybe you can do as we work together as partners. God, we thank you for these people that have been faithful to you and partners with us. God, may you be honored in all that we do and all that we try to accomplish, that it's not about us, but about you. And God, help us to continue to grow in our relationship, to be a family, working together to accomplish what you want to do, sharing your love and grace with those who need it most. God, we thank you for all these things. Pray in your name. Amen.